Hello, hello. We're so keen today. Kvitka, you and I are all here on time at four, four, well, my time, five, your time, on the dot. Yeah, I've never been so punctual my entire life. So, <laughs> yeah, like I'm punctual for Ukrainian spaces. Uh, how how have you been doing? Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Um, a little bit all over the place, which I get will, which which I guess we'll get to um, as we continue talking. Um, yeah, Kvitka, how yeah. about you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's exactly what we'd be discussing all of today. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I suppose I su- I was I was actually just on call with another Ukrainian student a couple of minutes ago, and um, he asked me how am I doing, and I said, you know, ju- just as everyone is, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. So I think there's a standardized sort of overarching feeling that everyone is feeling, but we don't really have the words to describe it entirely. Yeah. I think weird, uh, right? my favorite shortcut these days is a simple answer. I'm Ukrainian. So everybody, you know, asks, oh, how have you been doing? I'm like, I'm Ukrainian. And uh, it's uh, it's terrifically well put response for these uh, questions. And I think it explains to everyone everything at once. Yeah, I love yeah. it. You know, guys, I wanted to, uh, for the first time, I think ever in my life, probably, Uh, I recently this week heard um, a Russian refer to what Russia is doing as Russian colonialism, which was great. I think the narrative is reaching far and wide. 139 million, uh, 99, 100,099 people to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kvitka, um, uh, yeah. We will ask you to do the same thing that you already did, but, yeah. you know, um, this is the rule. We never introduce our featured Ukrainians and allow them to introduce themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please feel sh- free to share uh, who you are, what yeah. you've been doing and where you come from. Um, hi, everyone. Um, once again, thank you, Maxim and Val, for having me on back on Ukrainian spaces. I think that the work you're doing is truly incredibly important, as always, um, because as as we've already mentioned on um, many occasions, it, it's still nonetheless, you know, 80 something days in the problem of not highlighting or amplifying Ukrainian voices by Um, large media outlets is still very much prevalent. Um, and, you know, in cases one Western media does interview Ukrainians, there still is some kind of a way in which they either try to put a spin on what we're saying or, you know, impose some kind of an agenda and that I'm saying entirely from my personal experience, but that we can get into later. Um, my name is Kvitka. I am a third year history and politics student at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, so I am still studying, but I'm also um, a co-executive of a cultural NGO called The Shadows Project, um, which was created in January of last year with um, two of my friends who are also of the same age, um, who are also Ukrainian students abroad. Um, and we created it with the purpose of essentially creating a platform um, that would allow Ukrainian youth to interact with their Ukrainian identity in a very multimedia way, um, while also trying to essentially popularize and preserve um, Ukrainian history and culture and and do so in a way that would, um, you know, involve um, slightly more 
uh, I guess, fun spins on on the uh, topics mentioned um, so that Ukrainian youth can reconnect with who they are in ways that go past, um, you know, very bland Wikipedia articles and whatnot. And we really want to tap into the nuances of Ukrainian identity that go past the um, sort of more known elements of what Ukrainian identity is. Um, what I've been doing lately is trying to finish um, the third year of my degree, which has been rather, um, well, leading to a burnout, which we will be talking about. Um, but also at the same time running the NGO, we've um, launched a project aimed at helping Ukrainian museums and cultural institutions um, get access to protective equipment so that um, exhibition items and their collections are safe from the Russian invaders. Um, while also spotlighting Ukrainian voices and testimonies um, in a project titled Letters from Ukraine, which you can also find on Instagram, uh, where essentially we encourage people to send in any of their thoughts, emotions, feelings um, about any, everything in their life and anything in their life. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, and on top of that, trying to create an online encyclopedia on everything Ukrainian with um, a cohort of other Ukrainian cultural initiatives, which keep your eyes peeled for that. So all in all... Yeah trying to stay productive in ways that would benefit Ukraine in every way possible. Um, yeah. Keeping yeah. busy is the, the only way to stay sane uh, these yeah. days. And I just want to point out to everybody who's listening, we will definitely, because Thank this is much. one of the most fantastic initiatives uh, these days. And um, definitely as many people as possible should know and support it. Thank you very uh, much. Yeah, uh, Kvitka, I want to jump straight into yeah. our topic uh especially i think today um is quite complicated because we've uh, we are learning again after liberating some of the ukrainian territories about the sheer horror of mass rape happening and mass murder that russians did to um villages especially north of kharkiv um, and this is something that unfortunately we hear and witness, you know, see and read about uh, too regularly these days. But it also adds up to a bit of feeling that I had today, like when the first time I had, I was reading through those testimonies. Uh, they were coming from Bucha and Irping and Mariupol. I was just crying for, I think, several days, and it was uh, really traumatic. I think it will leave everyone scarred, no matter Ukrainian you are or not. These days, it is as traumatic, but I also see and feel quite a massive burnout. Um, we talked on the previous episodes about vicarious trauma with uh, uh, Jane Litvinenko and how it affects the way we process information. But this is something, the burnout, from all the things we've been experiencing last 85 years. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it felt like 85 years, uh, 85 days. Um, this is something that every and each of us already experiencing on major level, but we still do not talk about it just because we don't, we don't think that it's uh, very timely or maybe it's a bit of guilt not to talk about something uh, you feel uh, while so many people are actually losing their lives. So was it, is it the same situation with you? And if yes, how it manifests in your everyday life these days? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there, 
you know, from a personal experience, there's a, a, a certain set of behaviors that um, I think I've started to exhibit or experience in relation to rather mundane aspects of day-to-day life, which all of which nonetheless take their roots in the war and the and the larger overarching sort of context of one's experience of Ukrainianness today. Um, you know, normally, yes, like I know that I'm still I, I'm I'm a fairly sensitive person, but I've always had the ability to maintain um, a sense of rationality in situations I could identify as being bigger than myself, and all of that has gone out the window now uh, completely. Um, you know, I think what I've noticed in conversations with other Ukrainian friends is that all of us are experiencing extreme mood swings. Um, and that the highs are really high because deep down, you know, it's a matter of time before you're yanked out of that fleeting moment of happiness. And the lows are really low because there are so many things to be low about. Um, and I think what makes it all the more complicated is the fact that whether whether we're aware of it or not, I think we're all in a in a constant um, in a constantly active process of grieving, which nonetheless is retained subconsciously. Um, and it's not fully sort of manifested, I suppose, physically all the time. Um, so when something prompts an emotional reaction out of you, whether it be to something entirely, you know, again, something mundane, um, or if it's, you know, a, a, a regular sort of quarrel with, say, a friend, the reaction that you have to it carries with it a little bit of that grieving too. Um and, you know, so I think for me, what I've started to notice is the fact that just in general, I'm obviously a lot more emotional than I would be. Um, but I am a lot more emotional to things that also have absolutely nothing to do with Ukraine or, or the war, because I think in general, um, there's this, you know, there's a kind of an emotional pendulum that I think all Ukrainians have right now, which is that you're constantly going back and forth between having, you know, moments of distraction almost where you almost, you come very close to forgetting what, what your reality is. And then there's always a photo, a memory, um, you know, a voice note, a tweet or something that brings you back um, and yeah. immediately reminds you of the fact that, you know, not everything is sunshine and roses. Um which none obviously makes it a lot more difficult to deal with with just day to day life. Um, but then at the same time, once you think about those things, there comes a feeling of guilt, um, because I, and I think it's something that weighs heavy on a lot of people's minds because I think there's the question of how much one should be allowed to enjoy the simple things if they if they happen to be in that situation, and that's be it whether you're living abroad in a country with quiet skies or living in a part of Ukraine that appears relatively safe in contrast to the other. Um, and I'm partial to the argument that you know an attempt to enjoy simple things should be made simply not to condition ourselves to get used to wartime survival mode as sort of being the permanent um, state of things. Because we, we have to remember the joys of life so that we have something to strive for and to fight for, which is what we're already doing um, as a whole country. You know, this is a needed topic right now. And Pitka, the way that you've described how you feel and how many of us feel, I think, is so, so something I can really relate to as well. Um, and yeah, I think it's also like that guilt that you were talking about is something that we've spoken about before 
Uh, we all feel it to a, a certain degree in one way or another, each one of us, and it makes it a little bit harder um, to continue with this. But I just wanted to, I know what, we've briefly spoken about this before, but I think also, why are we talking about burnout right now? I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience with um, with this. And what I mean by that yeah. is that for quite a while, we, you know, many of us, I'm not saying all of us, have been operating in this fight or flight mode, right? Like you said, war, war sort of uh, survival mode. Yeah. Um, which means that we're like hyper sort of attentive and hyper, you know, we, we're really, 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 our, our body's reacting to trauma basically by, you know, as though we're being like chased by a wild animal or something. We're just like on adrenaline, you know, churning out, I don't know what it is, content, yeah. giving interviews, helping people, helping families, all of this stuff. And I guess now things, although for many people in Ukraine, they haven't slowed down, but in a way things have slightly slowed down. It's how yeah. I feel. And that's why there's like more time for us to go into that almost yeah. shutdown mode, right? And I was just yeah. wondering whether this is something just, just I'm feeling right now or whether there's like some sort of collective peak that we've reached that we're like all hitting a wall of burnout no definitely I think no you're you're not alone at all and I think that you know when when I think of a burnout in particular I, I'm I'm not a psychologist or or an expert in this matter but and to my mind the definition that comes is that you know above all it's characterized by kind of a lack of motivation and almost um a kind of cynicism that you start to experience after a, a prolonged exposure to stress. And in my experience, the lack of motivation in particular that strikes me ever so often, and I think it's something that all of us are starting to feel as well, um, it's exacerbated or I think is furthered by the rather dwindling attention of non-Ukrainian audiences towards Ukraine that I think um, as of right now, obviously we're, you know, 80 days in, like you've said, in the first couple of weeks, I think the entire world was sort of driving on this adrenaline, this momentum of, um, you know, th there was a kind of a shock factor that was very new um, to a lot of people that made them want to pay attention. Now that everyone's getting used to it, you know, there's, I I'm starting to encounter a kind of an internal dialogue within myself that goes somewhere along the lines of, you know, we Ukrainians are giving hourly updates of developments from the ground, even 80 days in. We're sharing photos of atrocities committed by Russians on our land, which are already traumatizing enough for us to see, let alone engage with. We're having daily conversations with foreigners and constantly taking on the roles of, you know, ambassadors, educators, activists, researchers, and so on. We're sharing infographics. We're compiling easy to understand and accessible explainers on Ukrainian culture, history, and whatever. We're, um, you know, with every possible citation and reference to legitimate source, uh, we're doing everything to Russian colonialism in Ukraine, easy to understand, digestible, and simplified and explained in ways to the point of it being so simplified and explained that it would be almost too easy to put in a quote-unquote for dummies textbook. And yet... There are still people who will call bluff, um, those who will, you know, simply avert their eyes or at times even worse, um, those who will say, you know, thank you very much. That information was great. And then go about their lives as usual. Yeah. Um, with That's their the subconscious, worst. you know, still very much untouched and it, it being very clear that they haven't genuinely taken in the gravity of what Ukrainians are experiencing. So when I think about those things, sometimes my conclusion is, you know, what what is the point? Um, and it's an almost shameful thing to admit, but there are times when I feel like just like 
giving up on the informational war that we're also fighting because it seems like no matter how hard we're trying or how much we're talking, it still isn't enough. Because every day I see Ukrainians doing every possible thing to try and make the world listen or, you know, at the moment to keep the world's attention on us and to remind everyone that the shock that everyone around the world and Ukrainians more so experienced on February 24th, it's still very much there for us because seeing dead bodies of people killed for being who you are hasn't gotten any easier. And, you know, hearing air raid sirens, despite that already being a joke amongst a lot of Ukrainians, it still is jarring. And, you know, the guilt of being a Ukrainian living abroad while most of your family is in Ukraine and being very aware of a kind of a um, like a crevice almost appearing between you and them because of their lived experiences of being in Ukraine during the war and your lack thereof, that is yeah, still very hard to wrap your head around. So, you know, we're in this, we've been you know, practically running nonstop for the last Mm -hmm. 80 days with, you know, updating the world on, you know, actually physically fighting on, you know, you know, everyone mobilizing in every way possible. Um, And I think, you know, so it's, I think it's perfectly natural that we're getting to this point, but it also means that there are lessons for us to be learning along the way about the fact that whether we like it or not, we're in this in the long term. Yeah, Um, of course. Even if the war were to finish tomorrow, there would still be so much work for us to do immediately afterwards. So, you know, yeah. with all of that in mind, we have to start, I suppose, it doesn't mean we have to slow down, um, but we have to definitely rethink how we're taking care of ourselves and, and how we're fighting. Yeah, 100%. I think we need to, I think we need to actually think about how we're taking care of ourselves. And I know like yeah. some of us might feel like that's like selfish to ourselves but actually yeah. if we don't start doing that uh, yeah. and having conversations like we're having right now then we will not be able to help other people um, yeah. and continue doing what we're doing so that's just really important and I think that's something all of us are realizing right now because as much as we've been like trying to be as heroic as we can with continuing yeah. and doing everything it's just been yeah absolutely um, I was just wondering I don't know you don't have to share this but I think one of the things that really sometimes, well, I, I just one story of something that just sent me into a spin of oblivion and depression was when someone I was decided one of those times, you know, how like you were saying, we need to like start sometimes some of us, you know, want to go and for one hour have, a, I don't know, a coffee or a drink with yeah. a friend or something. I went to someone's birthday party and um, a person actually came up to me and said they don't want to be around me because they don't know what to say to me and I'm making them feel sad and I was like what do you what do you want me to respond to that and I was just wondering have you had any like (laughs) bizarre interactions with people from the outside world who are still living their lives as nothing happened (laughs) yeah um, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, Maxim, but because I have, I've, I've had similar interactions, to be honest. Um, I've had a very, I've had to have a very, you know, well, I've had to have a couple of conversations with people closest to me. Um, and that was something I had initiated in the very 
first couple of weeks um, of the full-scale invasion because I realized very early on that um, it wouldn't be sustainable for me or for everyone around me to maintain the sort of, um, how would I describe this? You know, in the first couple of weeks of the war, it got to the point where I, I'm the only Ukrainian in my immediate surroundings. So all of my friends um, and all of those closest to me who are all non-Ukrainians, all of them had downloaded Telegram um, and, you know, and subscribed to every imaginable news source possible um, from Ukraine. And it, it got to the point where, you know, from February 24th until maybe the midpoint of March, I would sometimes walk into, you know, a friend's living room and it would be full of people who are obviously not from Ukraine. And they would start giving me updates on what was happening back home to the point where, it, you know, they'd be like, oh, have you heard about, you know, the advancement near Kiev or something like that? And they started giving me all these updates. And it quickly grew into, you know, with a snowball effect, it got to the point where every single conversation was about home. And back then, obviously, understandably, as I've said, a lot of it was because of the shock. Um, but I did sort of realize that it, it, I, I personally wouldn't be able to maintain a sense of, you know, some kind of like mental stability if that were to keep going. So I had to have a couple of conversations about the fact that, you know, I appreciate the fact that everyone's, you know, trying to stay updated. And if anything, most Ukrainians have the opposite problem with a lot of their um, foreign friends. But um, I had to have like an explicit conversation about boundaries and how to talk with me about these things. But that still didn't stop um, a couple of people that I knew from having a conversation with me about the fact that, you know, they, they were getting concerned about the fact that I was getting distant distanced um and that uh i was you know they didn't know how to talk to me about these things because they've never experienced it so they would really appreciate it if i would initiate these conversations um and it somehow then spun around into you know i end ended up coming out of the conversation feeling like it was my responsibility to force people into checking up on me almost um which was slightly strange, I think, because... A little is, bit messed up as well, no? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it made me feel a little bit like a nuisance, but also, you know, I I, I don't want to ask for, for people to have to check up on me and ask me how am I doing. Um, so it was it was just a very strange conversation to have, yeah. I think. And I, and I kind of came out of it with this, nonetheless, a very enforced feeling of the fact that regardless of how, you know, because in my head, I thought that everyone who follows the news should be able to decipher that if you are personally attached to you know the 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 images that you see of from Bucha from from Irpin and from whatever um that every right. person with you know who's able to think <laughs> would be able to understand that obviously if you have a personal attachment to it you wouldn't be doing great and it's yeah. not something that you would need to vocalize This is probably the reason, I mean, this is uh, my manifestation of my burnout, that I try to limit conversations with non-Ukrainians in social on social occasions. Of course, I have to do a lot uh, in, in, in line of work and a line of volunteering these days. But when it comes to social uh, engagements, like, I don't know, going for, for a coffee with a friend who is not Ukrainian or... Um, you know something like that i try to not to do it exactly because i'm burned out as fuck i cannot handle conversations with people 
even if I love them and I really、uh, value them, but I I definitely know that the reactions sometimes or the questions or just some circumstances might feel me really uncomfortable, and I just have no capacity to deal with that. And、um, actually, you know, I want to invite、um, uh, Ashley, who is our、um, Patron family, and uh, she uh, actually had a very cool question specifically related to that because we're doing Ukrainian spaces for Ukrainians, but also for our friends and allies to learn and educate themselves a bit better how to deal. I mean, not only about Ukraine, but how also be a good ally to Ukrainians. Ashley, hey,、um, I think you had a question specifically linked to that、um, when it comes to Ukrainian friends and how to、uh, how to be more attentive or more sensitive towards how Ukrainians your Ukrainian friends are going through I, stuff. I I do. Hi, everybody.、Um, I <laughs> I would love to be the customs officer who saw the wine and chocolate try to come through their customs station.、Um, But I I wanted to know if there's a way for Westerner Westerners or allies to support Ukrainians who are experiencing burnout right now. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, and thank you so much for supporting Ukrainian spaces as well.、Um, yeah, that's fantastic、uh, yeah. question, Kvitka. Please go ahead. Oh,、um, honestly, I. If I'm completely honest, Ashley,、um, I think one of the things that accompanies this burnout that a lot of Ukrainians are experiencing, and at least for me, is also a complete inability to make any decisions or understand what you want,、um, and that applies to even me trying to figure out how I wish people would interact with me or how I wish my foreign friends and loved ones would interact with me.、Um, So I that that is quite a big issue for me. But I think in general,、uh, an excellent way to support any Ukrainians right now is over something you're already doing, which is you know, for example, helping Val and Maxim go on with having Ukrainian spaces and contributing to the, to Ukrainian spaces.、Um, but also, I think what's helped me a lot is、um, with a lot of my foreign friends is what what makes me you know feel slightly better is when I see them interact with. Ukraine, but not just with you know the subject of what's going on there right now, but also with just all things Ukrainian. Because I think my one of my biggest worries about all of this is that you know once we inevitably end up at the finish line and the victory is ours,、um, that the world will come to associate Ukraine with you know being、uh, a temporary wartime zone, but but something that nonetheless. Will always be associated with war and tragedy and killings and whatnot, and that obviously is now an, a, a horrible mark in our history. But it is not all that Ukraine is or has to offer or ever had to offer.、Um, so, to me personally, it brings me a lot of joy to see non-Ukrainians、um, actively support causes that try to highlight the 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 you know aspects of Ukrainian history and culture. When when foreigners try to, for example, learn Ukrainian and Ukrainian phrases. Um, when you know, one of the things that、uh, my friends in university did, none of whom are Ukrainian,、um, in I think the second week of the war, which was 
incredibly wonderful on their part um, was they surprised me by making me a fully Ukrainian dinner. Um, none of them knew how to make borscht or varaniki or any of that, but they um, surprised me with a full table of Ukrainian dishes that I hadn't had in a very long time. Um, and seeing them put the kind of effort to learn more about my culture and my identity and who I am, um, you know, it brought me a little bit of hope because it, it, it just... It, it, it's very, I think you also have to understand that Ukrainians right now are, with with us, we also carry this, I think, repressed feeling, or at least this is something I experience, of a feeling like our identity and our culture had been ignored for a very, very long time. And this is a very unfortunate way for the world to start paying attention to us. So I think educa educating yourself, interacting with Ukraini anything Ukrainian really, but especially the positive aspects of it, um, financially supporting Ukrainian creators, and also by simply sharing their content does a lot to help. Anything to do with amplifying Ukrainian voices um, deserves you know, all the recognition in the world. Yesterday was uh, Vishavarka's day, uh, which celebrates fantastic fashion piece of Ukrainian culture. And, uh, you know, we were so overjoyed uh, to see so many people wearing it, Ukrainians proudly. This is also a special occasion because, I mean, this is not the first Vishavarka day, but the first time I felt kind of a privilege to wear it, but also privilege of mine that I have an opportunity not being under bombardments and wearing it and showcasing it, uh, whereas so many people I know are on the front line and didn't have that opportunity. And yeah. uh, some foreigners actually asked me like, well, guys, do you mind if foreigners wear it and uh, showcase it? Uh, don't you think it's a bit of cultural appropriation? And I got like plenty of uh, questions like that. And I think I, oh, I, I answered, I cannot speak on behalf of all Ukrainians, but I answered to all of them that personally, I don't mind. Moreover, yesterday, it helped me. It's actually helped me because people yeah. did celebrate Ukrainian culture. They learned about Vishavanka. They learned about the bazillion patterns from different Ukrainian yeah. regions. And it felt me, it fe filled me with joy. I and, learned too. Yeah. <laughs> and you put a fantastic post about it. And I know Tatiana, who's also part of our Ukrainian Spaces family, she also uh, put a lot of stuff uh, out there, both in Instagram and Twitter. And I'm going to pin something uh, about that um, celebrating uh, Vishamanga, but also celebrating uh, Ukrainian uh, culture, uh, Ukrainian cultural imprint in Europe and worldwide. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah, I think just on this note, I read somewhere, I think there was like a big discussion on Kalush won Eurovision because, um, you know, the outfits that they wore were obviously like super national Ukrainian outfits. And there was like a discussion on some uh, web Ukrainian website I found about like cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. And the main thing was like cultural appreciation is when people fully acknowledge the history and 
the meaning and where like the thing comes from when they wear something, you know, as opposed to just wearing something because it looks cool. You wear it because you want to celebrate that culture. So I, at least again, we can't really speak for everyone, but uh, at least that's how I feel for sure. Like if you're wearing a Vashavanka because you want to show support to Ukraine and you know what it means for us and you know, you know, what it has meant for us and, and you understand what expressing our, like, national identity means for us right now, then all the, you're super welcome to do it. And as Maxim says, it's, it 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 helps as well. And then just quickly on, on Krivka's point, first of all, I want your friends who cooked you a Ukrainian, um, a Ukrainian <laughs> meal. But second of all, I have a friend who uh, actually comes to our spaces quite often. So I'll give him a little shout out, Dante, who texts me, almost every day um, Ukra- in Ukrainian, like, how are you? Just in Ukrainian. Yeah. I, and I think Tatiana, he was sharing, like, your post um, as well with me, where you gave people, like, basically translation of little cool words that people can use um, in, in their day-to-day lives. And I thought that was just so, yeah. so, so nice. I, I actually, it's it's speaking on, on speaking Ukrainian, really. Um, I I have the same thing where my partner started just speaking to me in Ukrainian. Like he started just learning Ukrainian. I mean, before the war started already, but now he just tries to say to me, you know, a couple of times a day, he will, he will just say a couple of words to me. And it will immediately kind of make me feel a little bit more at home because also living abroad, I don't have a lot of opportunity to, I mean, speak Ukrainian really, unless I'm calling my family. Um, so it's it's been really nice to know that my friends will sometimes you know just they they've learned a couple phrases but they will use them every now and again and it's really nice to see them sort of ukrainian making its way into their daily vocabulary which is i think very sweet especially so because you know we've it it just reminds me of how long how, how far we've come and that you know we we used to be persecuted for speaking ukrainian and now the whole world is celebrating a song entirely sung in ukrainian um, and is learning Ukrainian on their own as well. Um, yeah, uh, Ashley, go ahead. Yeah, I'm here. I feel a little awkward on the timing, but I know I'm probably going to butcher this, but I wanted to say Jaku you for your great answer. Thank you, Ashley. I'm going to add Titiana because we already shared so much of her stuff. It's only only fair for her to um, have a say. Hey, Titiana. Hello. Hi, everyone. Um, I always feel like it's such a nice little group part of the family. You're right. It makes me smile because I I also am so far away. I feel like that this is kind of... um, feels like a group hug. <laughs> um, no, I I was going to actually add, um, um, I was going to actually add to the burnout conversation that I was reaching um, uh, a very saturated level, I think probably, I don't know, a week ago. I was getting to the point where I just, I couldn't sleep and my brain felt very full and, um, uh, it it felt kind of insurmountable suddenly, just the volume of information and the amount of kind of the, the peddling that we all have to do to make sure that we just keep going, keep going. 
And I kind of was reaching that kind of burnout place. And I swear that it, Vishwavanka Day came at the perfect time because suddenly it felt like the world was kind of coming back together again and having this renewed purpose and renewed energy. So I was just, I've, I was going to add to all the wonderful points that everybody's been making is that the, the narrative, you know, because Vishavanka day got everybody to look away from the war narrative and got them to understand what <clears throat> the uh, background to Nashi Vishiv and Yusurachke, like what, what, the shirts are kind of representing and, you know, it got me to kind of start reminding people that you can kind of still reach out and say certain Ukrainian words. I think it gave me a renewed purpose. So it was like Vishavanka Day was this collective day of leaning in, it felt like, which was really wonderful. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it was really great to, actually, Kvitka has one of the best Vishavankas because that's how I initially messaged you asking like, where's your Vishavanka from? Yeah. I want the same one. Yeah, I, my family is from Western Ukraine and we're very fortunate to, you know, I mean, we, we have quite the collection in the family. Um, and the one I wear is quite literally over 100 years old. It used to belong to my great grandmother that we've somehow managed to miraculously save. Um so, yeah, but I think Vashavankas to a lot of families are just their pride and joy. But also for me, it always makes, you know, when I put one on, I instantly feel very much in touch with um, my ancestors, as strange as that sounds. Um, because, you know, a lot of the times traditional Vashavankas are, are handmade entirely. And when you take a look at any of the Ukrainian patterns, um, you can immediately see just the amount of work that would be put into one because the patterns are just so you know, they're so intricate and so complicated with so many rich colors that, you know, you just know that there has to be some kind of an incredibly powerful meaning behind it that you can also, you can almost, I don't think you can really describe it. It's just something you feel. Like I think of a shamanka yeah. is very much something that when you put it on, you immediately feel a sensation that, that a lot of Ukrainians will be able to identify, but maybe not necessarily describe in words. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I actually, I wanted to go back to the burnout topic. Sorry. Um, you just reminded me, Val, when you brought up Kalush, that I saw this really interesting tweet that actually I thought it had a thesis in it that I personally could relate to um, that talked about the fact that, for example, the, the Eurovision win was important to Ukrainians, not just in a sense of like, you know, a, a morale boost, um, which obviously was nonetheless, I think, very needed. Um but also in that it created a kind of a, or it gave us a, a feeling of being able to have a timeline in mind, which I think a lot of people weren't able to do before. And that even with something as, you know, someone could say it's trivial, but with something like Eurovision, you know, nonetheless, the expectation that we're hosting Eurovision in a year's time, um, Ukraine will, you know, will be welcoming tourists from all over the world to come in May next year. That already sort of created something in everyone's minds to a look forward to, but also brought with it, I think, the hope that, you know, that by that point we will be, uh, a, you know, a restored, <laughs> free Ukraine. Yeah, uh, and that very much has kind of, I think, the reason I think that I think it relates to the burnout subject is because. Like I've said before, for me, the, the burnout idea has carried with it a complete inability to, you know, in, instability or, or lack of, of structure has started as, you know, causes an immediate sort of emotional reaction for me because I need to have a plan. 
because, you know, being not knowing what's ahead of you reminds me too much of what's happening at home because realistically I don't know what to expect from from home right now um and so I've started applying this to my day-to-day life and that if I don't know what I'm doing you know tomorrow then I start to get incredibly stressed because uncertainty is something that is very difficult to deal with right now and I'm personally trying to eliminate in every aspect of my life so that I can at least have control over some things when I don't have any control um or or that much control over what's happening back home yeah Hundred percent. I was just gonna ask you as well uh, before we. I, I think we only have ten minutes left, but I was gonna ask you, like, what is your, what are your coping mechanisms? What have you been doing to try and deal with, you know, your yeah. feelings of burnout when you are descending yeah. into that? But but yeah. also to to add important aspect, uh, what would you recommend? not mm-hmm. to do not so it doesn't get worse both for yeah. fellow ukrainians but also for our friends and allies yeah i think for ukrainians i think i i mean i've this is from my personal observations of people i know i think ukrainians have a a tendency to to be workaholics a lot of the time um and i think the important thing first of all is to not put ourselves in overdrive and that you know you have to be very um i think you have to be good with selecting what what you're fighting for and what causes you are are worth pursuing and what and what battles are worth fighting and i mean that not in the literal sense but in a sense of you know if you're for example arguing with someone who very clearly has very little grasp on what's happening at the moment yes sometimes it's good to educate people but at the same time you have to be considerate of whether or not you personally in terms of your energy levels and your mind you know your mind space if you are capable or, or if you can afford really to have a conversation that will inevitably end up being very draining for you and potentially not even so productive in regards to the other person. Um, so I think you need to be very good at, you know, at, at prioritizing really where you're putting your efforts and, and how you're spending them. Um, a good piece of advice that I saw in the very beginning stages of the of the full-scale invasion actually was in terms of, um, you know, I think a lot of us found ourselves in a position of what can I do to be useful Um, and someone I saw had written something about the fact that you have to just stick to what you know you're good at. Don't try to do everything at once. Don't, you know, if you've never fundraised before, don't don't suddenly become an expert on it because there are people who can fill up that space. If you know that you're good at writing, for example, and writing is your forte, then you can come up with a way to put that to good use. And that automatically makes it easier for you and also makes it more productive in the long run. Um, but also, you're allowed to take breaks, and all of us are allowed to take breaks. Um, I think that there's, you know, and and I'm, I I've suffer from this as well, is that, you know, there is a very much this feeling that you have to be aware of everything happening at this, all, all at once, and that, you know, um, I struggle sometimes with putting my phone away, for example, because I feel like the moment I do, What if something important happens and I don't find out about it until an hour later and then I'm late to the party and I can't discuss it? And, you know, then ultimately, again, it's all about 
feeling like you have control over something. You have control over your intake of information. You have control over your knowledge of the situation. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it is important to take breaks because if you are constantly at the receiving end of uh, the influx of information that we're receiving from back home, which is a, a crazy amount of information, you are not going to rest. Inevitably, you're going to get tired. And when you're tired, you're not able to work efficiently and you're not going to be able to be useful if that's what you want to be. So breaks are important. Pick your battles. Um, yeah. Take care of yourself. But ultimately, I actually I wanted to highlight there's I think it's a pretty good source. Um, there's a, a website called Dovitka Info um, that was made by the Ukrainian Ministry of Culture and the Strategic Communications and Informational Defense Center. Um, and in it, they actually have quite a few resources on how to deal with fatigue, with panicking anxiety, with just like in general psychological support during the war advice. Um, and I think it's actually pretty pretty well written or it's a, it's a good beginning step if you feel stuck so for anyone feeling like they need like a concrete list of sources that's a pretty good one to consult i think yeah thank you so much and uh bizarrely this is exactly what my mom always tells and you know she lives under bombardments and you know like uh So this is probably a mom thing to do to uh, take care. Sorry, this is this is not the place that I wanted to go, and now I'm just like choking on a bit tears. But um... yeah, sorry. But she keeps telling me that yeah, this is something you have to do. You cannot be constantly on the news or checking and this is something that even she does all the time despite that she cannot escape the war um and she here and war comes to her everyday life uh with some explosions that she hears or you know she even walks sometimes outside and if the fighting happening like 30 40 kilometers away she feels the the um the soil trembling under her feet but then she does this and she says that she even feels better if she can turn off her phone and force herself not to read all the time. And uh, if she can do it, I think people like us who are not there, um, especially those who are doing it um, because they um, are just uh, scared for their loved ones, you won't be of, many, of much help if you're completely burnt out and yeah. when time comes and crisis situation hits and you're completely uh, run out of any energy or opportunity to think clearly, there yeah. won't be much use of you. It's going to be a nice way to wrap up. I don't know. But um, I wanted to share my way of this week, I guess, that I've been trying to deal with my emotions and my feelings, which is that I've tried to find um, and read Ukrainian poetry more of Ukrainian authors and, and uh, Ukrainian, yeah, basically Ukrainian poets and um, and other people who have basically written about Ukraine in, in our previous years of existence of Ukraine. Uh, and I wanted to read a couple to you guys um, before we close just because I think it really shows to us 
Ukrainians right now that we are going through something that people before us went through and really makes us connected to our roots in a weird way, which I found really healing um, this week. But I'm sure like loads of you have heard of Taras Shevchenko. If you haven't, he's um, a big Ukrainian, probably the most famous Ukrainian poet, and Lesya Ukrainka, who's the most famous woman who's been writing poetry as well. Uh, but I wanted to read two. One from Vasil Simonenko, which I translated myself, um, just a couple of lines, and one from Lesya Ukrainka, just to see if you guys can feel the same way I do when I read it. Um, but Vasil Simonenko basically... Um, okay, I'll read it. I'll just go and read it. Um, so his poem reads, You can live or you can exist. You can think or you can repeat. But your soul cannot be warmed by those who do, who do not burn with passion. And I think that quite nicely describes all of us Ukrainians right now. And then um, Les Ukrainka's poem from actually a poem that is called Against All Hope, I Hope, which I think is just the most amazing How many words? One, two, three, four, five words that I've heard in the past three months. Um, but again, a, a little bit from her poem, which reads, Yes, I will laugh despite my tears. I'll sing out songs amidst my misfortunes. I'll have hope despite all odds. I will live away, away you sorrowful thoughts. So even though our ancestors and people that came before us have felt the pain that we're feeling, they still found a way to express themselves and are now helping us the way that I hope one day will help people who come after us. Also, our Patreon space, uh, please join it, support us, because we're a 100% independent volunteer effort. And thanks to our patrons, we can do a better job. This is not a charity. You get uh, bonus content. You get a lot of interesting stuff, extra, but also you get a front seat and you can ask your questions uh, if you'd like through Patreon space or uh, live in person. So I think uh, that's it. Hopefully I didn't forget anything. Except one thing. Slava Ukrainian. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> okay, guys. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you.